Hey, I hope you come tonight. Uh, coach Blankenship's going to be here. And, and I, I, I know, he's a good coach. Uh, that's one of his players right there, one of his superstars. He's injured right now, but one of his superstar. Are you a lineman? Nice. He's also going to start on our security team next week as a lineman for a Wasso ninth grade team. But um, uh, it's going to be a great night. I hope you come. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. And, and as, as a people who trust the Lord and take God at his word, that's who we are. We trust the Lord. We're taking God at his word. It is, um, it's important to recognize that the Bible puts a real focus on the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ. And, and we're not only called to consider the return of Christ, we're, we're really called to expect it. And, and you know, it's right for us to pay attention to how God is going to bring this world to its appropriate end. And that's, a, that's, a, that's important for us to pay attention to that. And, and, and according to Jesus' own promise, he said he's going to return physically, visibly. And, and you know, this, this return, he's going to come in all his glory. Let's think about that. The glory of God is going to re-enter the world. We're going to see the glory of God coming in the clouds. And, and you know, it's, this is uncomfortable, but it's, but it's clear in Scripture. Just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean we, we, it, it's, it's wise not to avoid it. That, that when he comes, he's coming and judgment will take place. Judgment for the lost, those that don't know Christ, will face judgment and separation from God. And I know that it's like um, not, not popular in our day to speak about these things in churches. You can't, you can't avoid that. Because when he comes, he's going to judge the lost. And, and hell is a reality revealed in Scripture. And that's, that's the... It'll be too late for those that don't know Christ. He's also going to, believers will stand before him in the judgment seat. And, 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 and you know, though the lost will be, con, um, will, will be, will enter hell, believers will stand before the Lord and will be before the judgment seat about receiving our rewards and our rebukes from the Lord. But then we get to enter into eternity forever, our eternal home. And it's home. We're going home, according to the Scriptures. And, and now, now, when it comes to the end days and the end of the world, we're not, Christians aren't, we don't have the market on that idea, right? That, that as a lot of people think about the end of the world, but here's something that we have as people that believe the Bible and, and know the Lord. We have this gift called revelation. God has revealed some things. He's revealed some truths that give us some understanding about what will take place in those last days. And, 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 and every one of us, we can have confidence in the Lord. We can have confidence that what God has revealed, because we know that 
God speaks the truth, that His Word can be trusted. And this is something I want us to always remember, that every promise God has made, He keeps. And this is so very important. Now, in 1 John chapter 2 is where we are today, and, and, uh, and this book was written by my favorite disciple. I don't know who your favorite disciple is, but John is my favorite. I, I like John because um, he's one of the guys that never left Jesus. He's, he's the only one that never, never he didn't run. Um, he stayed with Jesus the entire time through the, the, the arrest and the crucifixion. John never left. There he was. And I can get it because he was one of the sons of thunder. That was his nickname. And, and I, that, that's the kind of guy I think I'd want to hang out with, the son of thunder, right? Uh, he's a little, little um, uh, I guess uh, he's a scrappy guy. Uh, I like that about him. He um, was also a guy from the wrong side of the tracks. Chad and I give each other a hard time because we both grew up in Moore, Oklahoma. Chad went to Westmore, which he always says, the school for me is cockroach-free. That's what he always says. And, uh, but I was on the other side of the tracks. I went to Moore. John was from the other side of the tracks. We, I like that about him because, uh, you know, we know from, from Acts 4.13 about John that, that he was not very educated, Acts 4.13 says, when they noticed Peter and John, they were amazed because they were unschooled, ordinary men. But they took note that they had been with Jesus. And that's what they talked about. That was John's reputation. And, and, you know, you can see this if you really dig into the original language of Scripture. Because if you become a Greek student, if you are an elementary Greek student then you will start in the book of 1 John because the language is very simple. You can tell that, that John's writing is different than Luke's writing because John's Greek is very simple. And I, and I like John. And when you think about his three short letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, we read them this week. And then you look at the Gospel of John, which we will study all next year in 2024 as a church. Um, and then you look at the Revelation, which we start today in our Bible reading. We're starting the book of Revelation today. Um, I think it's, it's interesting because if you look at this guy, if you look at the life of John, you can tell that knowing Christ and putting his word into practice following him made a huge difference. And I think it's fascinating that this uneducated guy who was very simple, who never left the side of Jesus, wrote an entire gospel, wrote these three letters, and was given the revelation of God as an old man. It's really cool. But now, when you look at 1 John, which we read this week, you see a couple of purposes of the book. John is, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, he's writing um, kind of to combat these false teachers that had come up because there were a lot of false teachers that were leading people astray doctrinally. And, uh, and John was trying to clarify. And, and the doctrine from John is very, very fascinating. He was very deep, when it, even though he was simple. His doctrine was incredible as he taught and, and led. Uh, and John was fighting against the doctrinal error of these teachers. He was also fighting against the, the, the moral uh, error of these teachers because these, these false teachers were leading people to, to, to have an inconsistency of their life and their, and their, 
and their, their stated beliefs. They would say, oh, I believe, in, I believe in Jesus, but yet they didn't have a life that backed that up. And I'll be honest with you, you ought to pay attention to that. If you can go sin and do whatever you want and, and you never feel conviction of the Lord, you ought to pay attention to that. John was writing that these false teachers were kind of leading people astray doctrinally, morally, and socially. And so John is, is battling false teachers in his book. He's also, uh, the, another purpose of his book is he is writing to encourage believers. He, he wants to reassure believers that God's promises are true and you could trust them. And John knew that. He, he knew Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He followed Jesus. He trusted Jesus. Now, but in the book of 1 John, you also see John speaking about the Antichrist. Now, it's interesting as you, he, he, he lets us know in this book that there are going to be many Antichrists through history. And I think that's true. It's obvious to look at that. But he also points to there is one coming Antichrist who's going to be the final one, a final world leader that's going to uh, really set the stage for the end of the world. Now, 1 John 2 helps us recognize him. It also helps us know how to respond as we live our lives. So let's stand together and read 1 John 2, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 27. Okay? Now, we stand in honor of reading God's Word here. It's just a simple posture that says, hey, this is the Word of God. It's it's um, not my word, it's his. And uh, what I'd like to do is, like we, it's our, it's our um, practice, that um, we, I'll just state the obvious. Now, you know, my wife encourages me to state the obvious. I love you, honey. She knows I love her, but she likes to hear me say it. So I think it's valuable to state the obvious. So I'm going to state the obvious and say, this is the word of God, the word of the Lord. If you'll respond by saying, praise be to to God, let's just state the obvious together. Verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they, if they had been of us, they would not have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. That you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. 
But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated now. Now, it's interesting because even for believers, um, like anytime we talk about the end times and the last days, it strikes some fear. And, um, and that's understandable at some level because, you know, we know that as God leads the world to its proper end, that there's going to be some difficult circumstances. There'll be some challenging times. But, but as you see in 1 John, let's not forget that the Lord strengthens us to face whatever comes our way. That there will be a generation who will see all of these things come to pass. And, and for the believers that are entrusted by the Lord to live at that time, there's going to be power because they abide in him. There's this gift of we get to abide in the Lord. And, and this abiding relationship with Christ gives us strength and power every step of the way. And I don't want us to forget this. So when fear hits you, when concern hits you about the circumstances surrounding the end of the world, if God entrusts us to that moment, he will also give us the power we need for the moment. And this is what God does. Now look back at verse 18. It's interesting. Children, it's the last hour. Now, a lot of people go, well, John lived a long time ago. And, 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 and you know, how was he saying this was the last hour? It's obviously not the last hour when John wrote this. And, and that, that would be true, but at the same time, you see in Scripture that God gives us messages for the future. And, and God gave John this unique picture of the end days, and he says, as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, that, that there's an Antichrist coming. So now many Antichrists have come, he says. And, you know, we can look back at history and recognize that. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued. They would not, they would, excuse me, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So you see this interesting challenge of imposters, of wolves in sheep's clothing, of, of Satan's strategy of be, to be an imitator. But notice verse 20. He says this twice, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. And, and, and the moment, we've seen, we've seen three baptisms today, one in the first service and, and two in this one. And when, when each one of those baptisms, uh, the reason they took place is there was a time that Christ came into their lives. That act of baptism didn't save them. That was a, a, a proclamation of what has already taken place in their heart. They were saved. The Holy Spirit indwelled them, anointed them with, with power. And uh, he's talking about those who have been coming to know Christ. You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. We don't just have head knowledge. We have experiential knowledge. We, we know the Lord. We walk with the Lord. I, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. And so John is pointing to the fact that those that really know the Lord, that they, they just recognize false things when they see it. 
and you know it. And that's why I, I, um, as, as the more you come to know the Lord, the more you walk with the Lord, the more we recognize what, like John is a good example of this, the more you're able to go, when you hear somebody teach that, that that's not right. There's something not right there. And this is a skill we have. And he says, you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. The end of verse 21. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who, knows, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So John points something out something really important. Now, now if you're taking notes, and, and there's some things that are probably not on the screen today, but, but, I, but I want you to write down and consider. But the first thing that I want you to see is that leaders who fit the Antichrist description are present in every generation. And let's think about that for a second. In every generation, Satan is going to rise up a leader that fits the Antichrist description. Why? Now, Satan knows this is the Antichrists are going to oppose, oppose the Lord. But Satan is not omniscient. Satan doesn't know everything. Um, Satan is one being. He's not omnipresent. Let's recognize that about the enemy that we face. Um, Satan is limited by God. This is just a truth about about Satan. He's one being. Um, He has to get permission to even mess with a Christian. We see this in the book of Job. Uh, we see this through uh, the, the interaction with Jesus and the demons that they, they, are, they submit to him. Satan lives in constant submission to God. And this is just the truth. He lives in submission to him. Now, the Bible teaches that there's a time that Satan was one of his um, you know, choicest of angels. And he, and he got pride in his heart and he rebelled. And, and from the moment of the fall, there's, this been, there's been this continual battle that he is fighting against what um, the, the work of Christ. But he doesn't know, he, he doesn't know the future. Um, but we see this battle, this warfare, and, and we face this kind of warfare. We see it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, that there's a spiritual battle going on. But, but let's not forget that the, the Bible points to one last battle at the end days. And there's going to be a, a, an end of times, a tribulation that the Bible speaks of. And, and there's going to be a battle of Armageddon. We were there in Israel uh, just in May. We, we stood over the valley of Armageddon. Fascinating. Um, incredible spot of ground. And the Bible speaks of a battle that will take place there at the end days. And in that moment, Christ will judge the final antichrist, this world leader that will, will raise up and that will, will step up in the world, that Satan will raise up and he will be judged at the battle of Armageddon and he will lose. And, and when you look at the trajectory of the world, it's interesting because the, the whole, we live in a generation where we see the stage being set. And uh, the Bible speaks of a leader that will have influence over the entire world. You know, this was harder in the time of John. It's not as hard today because we live in such a global 
um, you actually have the capability of knowing what's going on all over the world within minutes. Now, let's think about the Antichrist, because the Bible reveals several names about this guy, and you might have to write these down. But, But the Bible first identifies the origin of the Antichrist through the Prince of Tyre. And there's a verse, Ezekiel 28.2, that says this, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods in the heart of the seas, yet you are a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. Ezekiel 28.2 talks about that this Antichrist will declare himself to be God. He will oppose God. He will, um, he will be an imitator, a fake. Satan's always done this. Second, the Bible talks about the purpose of the Antichrist. Look at 1 John 2, 18. And let's look at two verses in this passage. Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So there's one coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. When you see the Antichrist show up, you'll know it's the last hour. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. That's interesting because the, the world stage will be set up and it will be communicating that, ah, Jesus really isn't the Christ. He's really not the only way to God. Let's think about that message that's getting massive traction in the world. Ah, he's not really the only way to God. There's many ways to God. Now, the Bible, and John, John is very clear. The, you can tell when, when this, this Antichrist will be com, convincing that Jesus isn't the Christ. Now, the Bible teaches God as Trinity. Now, this is a fascinating doctrine. It's revealed in Scripture. When I was in seminary, we had a systematic theology class, and one of our assignments, there were about 40 guys in the class, I think, and, and each one of us were assigned the greatest theologians through history. We had one of them. I, I did Anselm of Canterbury. And uh, every one of us were assigned different theologians who, uh, uh, and we were to articulate these theologians' doctrine of the Trinity. And all 40 of us had to do a presentation in class. And the one consensus after all these presentations, we realized that not one of them did a good job explaining the Trinity. The greatest theologians in the world, not one of them did a good job. Because the Trinity is a revelation that is not explainable by our human minds. What the Bible reveals is it's, a lot of times we see it as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the Bible reveals. It reveals God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This eternal unity of the three. And it's why we sing the songs we sang today, Lord, we worship you because you are bigger than my mind can comprehend. And, and the Bible's clear, though behold the Lord is one, yet he says he's revealed himself as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all eternal, all one. 
Now, Satan is an imitator, and he's going to try to convince the world, you know, come on, you can't buy that. Revelation 13, 12, um, John talks about, and we're going to read this in the coming uh, weeks, and I want to challenge you, get into the Bible. We started Revelation today. So jump in with us in our Bible reading. And, and, but Revelation 13, 12, you're going to run into this about John tells us that the false prophet causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And, and here's the thing. The Antichrist is going to allow people to worship him and call people to worship him. And the Bible reveals several names. He's revealed as the king of Babylon. He's often called the king of Babylon. You see this in Revelation 17, 16 through 18, Revelation 18, 16 through 19. Yesterday, I think we read Jeremiah 50. I think that was yesterday, late, late in the week. We read Jeremiah 50. And that seems to be one of those double prophecy moments where it talked about Babylon uh, and those things that would happen to Babylon. And it's interesting that the Antichrist is, is, is called the king of Babylon. Isaiah 14.4 says, Take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say how the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased. And you see in the scripture that this king of Babylon will be destroyed. The Antichrist is called the king of fierce countenance, meaning that Daniel 8, 23 says, in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features who understands sinister schemes. That's Daniel 8. The Antichrist is known as one with fierce features, and, and, and he has this... Uh, this personality of great power, and and uh, and he would he he commands allegiance to to the entire world. He'll he'll be one of the most persuasive and, and magnetic men who've ever lived. Um, he'll be intimidating, and people will be afraid to oppose him. They'll be terrified of opposing him. It says he's, he's he understands sinister schemes. He'll be the ultimate schemer, and he'll convince people to follow him. This has taken shape in our world. He'll be the, the do-as-he-pleases king. Daniel 11 speaks of this. The, Daniel eleven thirty six. 36, the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. He'll be an arrogant man, a proud man. He may not appear that way at first to the masses, but he's going to turn and, and he's going to be deceptive and he's going to be the epitome of assertiveness and self-promotion and arrogance. He'll exalt himself to a position of prominence and, and, and he's going to be the leader of the entire world. And, um, but he's ultimately going to be defeated by Christ. He will be the man of sin, the son of perdition. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. 
So he's a man of sin. He's going to be incredibly the embodiment of rebellion against God. He's he's literally going to be the worst human ever in human history. And he's going to be entirely wicked. The son of perdition means he's going to be, he's going to bring about complete destruction. Now, now these things are spooky. We look at these things and go, man, thanks, Chris. Glad I came to church today. But, but let's, let's recognize something. John is such an incredible example because he knew the Lord. He walked with the Lord. He followed the Lord. And man, God protected him. God protected him. God led him. God empowered him. And so if you know the Lord, if you walk with the Lord, if you know the Word of God, if you submit to the Word of God, let me tell you something, you're going to be able to recognize every antichrist that walks in the door. And this is why I pray that we are a church that knows the Bible, that we know the Word. This is why I believe you should read the Bible. We've learned something this year as a church. I want to challenge you to consider in your personal time with the Lord for the rest of your life that you simply read the Bible. You read it. I mean, we'll study it together as a church and all kinds of Bible studies, and we'll, we'll have those like crazy. But in your personal time with the Lord, I want to challenge you to read the Word. Read it. Because here's the thing. Spiritual, evil spiritual forces are constantly exposed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. And, and look, it's very important for believers to be able to recognize every antichrist that walks through the door. And knowing the Word, encountering the Word, following Jesus, knowing Christ, that's how you find out. Now, we, I said this last week, no one knows the hour of the return of Christ, but we can recognize the season. You can know the season of the return of Christ. Now, I'm not going to like spend too much time on this, but, but let's just consider the season that we're in. Remember what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3? He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, disobedient to their, abusive, excuse me, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Whoa. You look at that list. And you might can say, oh, Chris, man, people been doing that forever. You're right. But I want you to consider how in our modern world we are perfecting these things. That we are in, that that the, the world is in rapid pursuit of these things. And there's much more global knowledge about these things than at any point in the history of the world. Now, notice verse 9 in 2 Timothy 3 
but they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So I want you to recognize this, that the schemes of the Antichrist will be clear. Knowing the Lord and knowing the Word will help you recognize these things. And I would argue we need to be able to recognize them. Steve Green was here about, I can't remember how many years ago, six or seven years ago, I think. Steve Green, who's the owner of Hobby Lobby um, and uh, their family business, they opened the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Totally ought to go. It's a great evangelistic tool in the United States of America is the Museum of the Bible. Um, you really ought to go. Um, but you know what he said when he was here? He was talking about the Bible in America. He actually wrote a book on that. And it's interesting because we have such access to the Bible right now. But yet we still live in the most biblically illiterate time in the history of the world. It's fascinating. With all the access, I mean, you could Google any verse you want right now. But yet we stand in one of the most biblically illiterate times. Look, we need to know the word, read it, study it, memorize it, wrestle with it. But I want you to notice, look at verse 24, because as we engage the scripture, as we, as we deal with the anxiety about the Antichrist and recognize these things, look at how John moves us to respond. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the in the Son and in the Father. Notice this. The, the calling is to abide, to be close. What does it mean to abide? It means be close to the Lord, to know His Word. Uh, as this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. Look, He's remembering the promises, engaging the, the greatest promise that we've ever been given, which is the gift of eternal life. It moves us to recognize that we don't hold tightly to this world. Some of us are holding too tightly to this world. And John is encouraging the believers, no, let's have our mind and our views set on eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Let's recognize that there are, there are those in the world that are trying to deceive us. But notice verse 27, but the anointing you receive from him abides in you. So let's look at this really important truth. The way to prepare for Christ's coming is what? To abide in him. I want to challenge you, abide in him. Walk with him, know him. Come to know him. If you don't know him today, come to know him. That's the first step. Then walk with him, abide in him. What does that look like? Well, it comes to Christ. It's come to Christ. Come to know Jesus. You might go, man, Chris, are you trying to scare me about this end time thing? Look, there, there's a rightness of a, of a concern and a fear. There's a rightness to some of that uh, discomfort about this knowledge of the coming of Christ. I've heard people say, oh, you preachers are trying to scare people uh, to, to make a decision. Well, eternity in hell? That's pretty scary. Um, none of us are promised tomorrow. And that's why I think the Bible's very clear. Today's the day of salvation. 
if you're here and you don't know Christ, you ought to come to him today. But, but what does it look like to abide in Christ? Well, I want to challenge you with some things. Those of you who know the Lord, how do you abide in Christ? How do you prepare for this second coming as a believer? Well, build in some distraction-free time. Get, get quiet. Turn to the Word. Let's recognize that we've learned something this year about, of the importance of engaging the whole Bible. I want to challenge us. Let's, let's learn these things. Let's dig into this. Learn to interact with the Holy Spirit of God. Don't just go through the religious motions. Don't just check a box, have I read my Bible today? No, recognize that, that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, that, that, that coming to know Christ, interacting with the Lord, is what we're doing today. I mean, we're not just like checking off, I heard a sermon today. No, the Holy Spirit is moving in this room. The Holy Spirit is moving in your life. Turn to Him, look to Him, learn from Him. Pray to Him. Seek Him. Um, let the Word of God clear up your thinking. You know, sometimes I don't think right. If I'm left to myself, I'll think things I shouldn't think. But I'm thankful that God's Word helps me think. God's, like, that's why John is writing, saying, hey, look, I want to remind you of the promises of God. The promises of God shape my thinking even when I don't feel good, even when I experience fear, even when I experience doubt. The, the person of God and the Word of God helps eradicate doubt. And I want to challenge you to, to, to lean to the Lord, look to the Lord, Look to his word and let it shape the way you think. This is why John keeps pushing people to the promises of God. And he reminds us he never lies and they are true. And this is so very important to catch. And then lastly, when you think about abiding in Christ, do the work of spiritual growth. Let's do the work of growth. Look, um, you know, uh, we watch our granddaughter once a week. I love it. I love it. Um, and I, I'm not allowed to give her candy anymore. I'm not allowed. Because she has to eat food that helps her grow. It's not fair that I can't do that, Emily. But, but you know what? It's natural to grow. And so I want to challenge you to grow up in your faith. Second Peter chapter 1 gives you an incredible list of things you should add to your faith. You ought to look at it. But let's do the work of spiritual growth. That's not Old Testament, oh, you got to keep all these rules. No, that's a New Testament to grow up in your faith now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. To learn to discipline your life, to, 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 get, to rid yourself of all these things. That's, I mean, that's First Peter, a whole other sermon. But, but we're to grow up in our faith. You know, the Antichrist is going to deceive many. But let me tell you something. If you walk with the Lord, know the Lord, you're going to be fine. You're going to recognize him. And let me tell you something. We, we ought to be a church that recognizes him, that knows him. Look at verse 27, and we're going to end. Okay? In, in 1 John 2, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. The Holy Spirit 
is in you. What is the anointing? It's the, the Holy Spirit that anoints you, that, that comes over you, that, that indwells you. The anointing you receive from him abides in you, in you that God's going to give you power. This is why you shouldn't fear. This is why you shouldn't let those things paralyze you. No, no, no. We're, look, if we're going to be the generation, and I don't know if we are, I don't know if, we, if we're raising up the generation that will trust the Lord in this time, I don't know. But, but I'll tell you, recognize that if he's in you, what are you afraid of? What do you fear? Nothing. We have an anointing. It abides in us. And, and, and I love this. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. Look at that. You know what I pray about, about? That we are the kind of church that you don't need me to teach you. You know why? Because you are eating spiritually on your own. Paul said that to Timothy. Um, train yourself to be godly. You know, like we should be an entire church that, is, that, are, that are capable of taking the word of God and eating on their own. Now, you still need a pastor. But, but let's, let's recognize like, this incredible statement that, that John makes to the church. He, uh, uh, you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is as taught, it has taught you, abide in him. So you see the calling to abide in him. And Jesus said that anyone who is not with him is against him. He, you know, when you, C.S. Lewis was right a long time ago when he wrote that following Jesus cannot be mildly important. And so my prayer for you is that we recognize the Bible is clear about a, a proper ending to this world. And as followers of Christ, we are to know the Lord, know the Word, and walk with Him. That's what John did. John came to know the Lord. He then walked with the Lord. And you know what? He never left Him in spite of the difficulty, in spite of the challenges. And then, oh man, he kept abiding with the Lord. And look at this guy, unschooled, ordinary man, wrote simple Greek. That dude wrote an entire gospel. That dude wrote three letters to churches warning against false teachers and, and raising up believers saying, look, you can be confident in him. And today, we started the book of Revelation. The book of the Bible that I, I think it was John Calvin that didn't even write, it, write anything about it because he was like, like that's, a hard, that's too above me. Can't do it. And so... Trust him. Come to him. You know, in the first service, little Reese, she's six years old, was baptized. And, and I talked to her right before the service. And you know, um, I just told her how proud I was of her. 
because she just came to Jesus like a child. And I want you to know there's a lot of things in life that you can't figure out, that I can't figure out. The older we get, we complicate things and we overthink things. About three weeks ago, I was standing right here and Reese just came to me. And in this sweet little six-year-old voice goes, I need to ask Jesus into my heart. Can I do that right now? And I just got on my knees right there and said, yeah, you can. <laughs> you can. It's one of the sweetest moments of, I didn't bust out my systematic theology or my views of eschatology or, or whatever. You pick it. I say, yeah, you come to Jesus, he'll save you. That's true for you too. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, if you come to Jesus, he'll save you. And then he'll guide you, he'll protect you, he'll lead you, he'll empower you. So we're going to have an invitation. And how has the Lord spoken to you today? Is following Jesus mildly important to you? Nah, it's not an option. It's not an option. Life's too short. There's too many enemies that we face. And these days are too critical for you to be on the fence. Let's follow Jesus. We're going to have our prayer team, and I want to ask everybody to stand. Our prayer team's going to be around the room. We're going to have people up front, on the sides. and You know, you can come and talk to somebody, pray with somebody. Um, but I want to challenge you. Now's the time to follow the Lord. Come to him. Lord Jesus, would you move us? Would you speak to us? Would you strengthen us? Would you help us not miss this moment, whether someone's online or whether they're in the room? Would you help us not miss this moment? We love you, Lord. And we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.